Welcome back to another episode of the Next Level Minds podcast. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Chris Chapman and I am your host. And this is a podcast dedicated to those who want to reach a next level in their business, personal or career life. Every other week, I'm blessed to sit down with a fully qualified guest, entrepreneur, content creator, or mover and shaker in their industry, and really walk through their story, how they have gotten from point A to point B and overcame various adversities along the way. Now, before we dive into this week's episode, I just want to reiterate my main goal, which is to impact over 1 million people with this podcast. So if you've not done this already, please take the time to subscribe to Next Level Minds on Apple Podcasts and share this episode with a family member, friend, or colleague who you think will get some value out of it. Now on to today's guest and episode, I am very fortunate to be sitting down with a good friend of mine, Brian Miller. Brian has a very unique story of spending a significant amount of his earlier career in corporate America, uh, working with a number of different banks where he handled commercial real estate lending, and then he jumped into some of the consulting side and then jumped to start his own company in 2018, which is a commercial real estate development and investment company. And then he also started his own men's grooming lounge in 2020. So both really unique stories. Brian also does some fitness as well as business and entrepreneurship coaching. So if you want to dive into that, definitely hit him up. His information will be below in the show notes. But I'm excited to sit down with Brian because he's somebody that can really just unpack business and entrepreneurship at a level that everyone can really understand. Him and I have had a few phone calls, done an Instagram live together. We've gotten lunch a few times. So I'm excited to sit down with him one-on-one just from a, a podcast perspective here and really pick his brain. But before we dive into this week's episode, I always like to reiterate that your mindset is your greatest weapon for the battle of success. Brian, thanks so much for uh, hopping on the Next Level Minds podcast, man. Absolutely. Glad to be speaking with you, Chris. I always enjoy our conversations. Yeah, absolutely. I know we've done like some lunches, some Instagram lives. I'm just like, man, I, I, I should have had this episode way earlier since we've been meeting for so long. So I, I appreciate that. Well, looking forward to chatting a little bit tonight. Yeah. But uh, have you had a pretty good week so far? I know we're recording on a Thursday. So yeah, the, the week's been good. I, I had a couple really, really busy days going into it. We got two construction projects going on right now in my real estate development company. Both are in the site work phase, which is the most complex and risky phase. So I've been managing that, but last two days have been a little bit more manageable relative to the first two. Yeah. Well, dude, you look high spirits, high energy, ready to go, which I love. Yeah, so. absolutely. I, I definitely am excited yeah. about it. Yeah. The worst is like when you do one of these podcasts and they've had a crazy week and they're like, I'm just so tired. And you're like, well, <laughs> you got to bring the energy for one more hour, then you can chill. So No, no, I'm ready to go. Um, but awesome, man. I, I guess where I want to start is uh, just kind of your background a little bit. I know when I introduced uh, the guest, I always like to say, you know, a little bit about them, which I did, of course. Uh, but, you know, nothing better than coming from the horse's mouth. So I'd love if you could just kind of start, you know, around 17, 18 year old Brian. And, and then, of course, kind of how you got to where you are right now. Yeah, happy to do that. So I grew up in, in south, southern Alabama, in Dallas, Texas, for the most part. So 
graduated high school in Southern Alabama. I went to college at Auburn. Um, and after working to try to get in the, the military, I come from a family of pilots. My, my dad's a pilot. My brother's a pilot. Um, I was the one with bad eyesight, so I wasn't, I wasn't able to fly. So um, I decided to pursue the corporate world, more specifically business, and interviewed at a lot of places, dropped my resume at a lot of different companies, and ended up getting on in the banking world which looking back now was a great start. So I started my career in commercial and corporate banking. Uh, and that was a mix of real estate and it was a mix of uh, cash flow companies and all kinds of different industries. Um, so cash flow oriented businesses. So I really got exposure to a lot of different businesses from small to large size. Uh, eventually migrated from uh, where I grew up in South Alabama to Atlanta. I uh, went to work for a big bank in Atlanta doing strictly commercial real estate lending did that in the downturn. I started that job in 2007. So I learned all kinds of things for a few years um, from going from a pretty significant size portfolio to real estate developers really struggling through the downturn and doing loan workouts. And um, it was a challenging time in my career, but the experience that I got really served as a really strong foundation for uh, one of my businesses now. So I I, I look back on that time fondly, surprisingly, even though there were some, some difficult conversations and uh, difficult relationship decisions we had to make on certain things that we were doing. But while I was at the tail end of that position, I actually went back to school, got my MBA in the evenings in Atlanta, transitioned with that same bank up to Charlotte. I, I came to Charlotte in 2011 and, and went from commercial real estate banking to investment banking. So I spent four years working crazy hours, 80 to 90 hours a week. Uh, covering industrials and healthcare predominantly. Um, so anybody that was in the big manufacturing space, um, I covered healthcare companies like big hospitals, um, doing mergers and acquisitions and financing for a lot of um, regular way operations, but also acquisitions that they were doing. So great experience. And lastly, before I started my company in 2018 with my business partner or one of the companies now, um, I did some consulting work for uh, one of the, the big accounting firms that has a consulting arm. And I was actually back in real strictly in real estate at that point, uh, predominantly raising equity for real estate companies. So I had a lot of banking experience, which was on mostly on the debt side, lending and financing mergers and acquisitions, went to the equity side, consulting for real estate developers, raising equity for projects and kind of rounded out my knowledge of the capital structure, how to finance businesses in real estate. And then we started our firm in 2018. So the last thing I'll say is we've got a commercial real estate firm that uh, develops and acquires both self-storage uh, apartments and townhomes. So two distinct businesses, predominantly self-storage and the residential space, which is apartments and townhomes. And then I've got another business that I helped found that's a, a barbershop a men's grooming lounge here in Charlotte. And I also have a personal training mindset coaching business, which is the third business right now. So um, busy schedule. I stay busy, but really love everything I do. And that's, I guess, really part of my personality is I, I like to do a lot of different things. And I feel all of these different things that I'm, uh, all these different business areas that I work in and uh, that give me the opportunity to learn. And they all, they all, essentially leverage off of each other in an interesting way. So I learned, I learned, I learned things in certain businesses that helped me in other businesses. And I just like the diversity of that. 
Yeah, that's cool, man. And, and it's also like a fun, fun one too. Like, you know, the, the um, haircut, all that. And then you got, you know, the real estate. And then you obviously do like the coaching, which you're very passionate about. Still to this day, man, quick plug, best haircut I've had to this day. So obviously <laughs> wanted to mention that. Well, I'll pass that along. But uh, yeah. yes, uh, we, we, we have a great group of clients at that shop. I'm more passive in that business. But um, it is, um, it's an amazing place inspired by something we saw uh, actually in California a long time ago. And, um, but we've got a great group of clients there and some very talented people working there. Yep. And for the record, everyone, Brian does not cut hair. He just <laughs> is a, an owner of it. So don't you, hit you him do up not, Yeah. You do not want that. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Um, so let me ask you this. I, I kind of piqued my interest here. Uh, you're obviously in commercial real estate as kind of one of your main, uh, revenue generators with your business. And you mentioned that you were doing CRE lending for a bank. So I feel like it, it was kind of natural progression. And then you did the consulting. But I am curious, let's just say like you're in an industry, let's just call it engineering, but you're like, man, I really want to start like a restaurant or a brewery or, or just something not even remotely close to where you're working right now. Do you think you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot where you should go jump and get another career in an industry that you want to start or is there ways to kind of still do it? No, I absolutely think there's ways to do it. I mean, when I'm coaching people from a business perspective, um, I, I do both fitness uh, coaching, but I also do entrepreneurial coaching also. And that's kind of a, it's a mix of my entrepreneurial background, but also my corporate background. So uh, I think it's a, a relatively unique viewpoint and that you can see both of those and, give people that are trying to build businesses, whether it's full-time or on the side, which I actually really enjoy helping people that want to do it on the side and ease into it. So I think it's a great way to think about risk as you want to build something. Um, I absolutely think there's a way to move into something that's completely out of what you're doing now. Um, but I think it really requires just digging in deep in terms of starting to educate yourself on that space um, and I just like to simply say just with a volume of information. And I think anything you look into from a business perspective or where you want to learn, there's just infinite information if you get on the Internet. But you try to distill that down, at least in the beginning, with people that you know who have, who have had consistent success in that industry. So I think you take the time to seek out those that have had success over and over again. I think if you look at somebody that has had isolated success, it could be an anomaly in the business space, or it could be driven by the cyclicality of a certain business. You know, certain businesses do well at certain economic times and uh, the the rising tide lift, lifts all boats at those times. And so you can see people who have had success that might not be as adept in a certain space as others. So I try to tell people to to find the people in that space that have had success for a long period of time across multiple cycles, maybe starting multiple companies in that space, or they're vertically integrated or something interesting like that, where you know that they are the best knowledge provider. So you start by really filtering down all of the information to what you know has been utilized by people that have been continuously successful. Once you build a baseline of knowledge, you then want to start reaching out to these people directly after you've made some preliminary conclusions about ways you could potentially start, how you would do it. And you want to, uh, you want to get constructive feedback from them in terms of, um, how you're going to start and where you're going to start. And it's really a, a risk, 
a risk mitigation tool to make sure that you're doing it the right way. So that's how I tend to recommend people. I'm working with a, a couple of individuals right now who are building businesses on the side of their day job. And this is exactly what we're doing, going through this exercise of knowledge building, taking the conclusions that we make, running them by extremely educated people in the space, refining our plan, and then we start to approach market in a very intelligent way. That's awesome, man. So just to recap that, knowledge building with the information and then going out kind of seeking mentorship from folks that have sustained success in that industry and then kind of creating a plan after getting, I guess, some of their feedback. That's that's absolutely right. And I I just think whenever you look at any topic these days with the availability of information, you have to find some way to distill that into what is actually going to take you to a place that's actionable in the most likelihood of having success in that manner as quickly as possible. So the way to help you distill all that information is to identify the people who have done it consistently, then educate yourself independently first, and then find creative intelligent ways to approach them where it doesn't feel like you're necessarily it's a one-way street where you're trying to extract all this information from them there's a strategy to this but once you built that baseline knowledge you then go to them and you take those ideas to them directly to ensure that you're not missing anything conceptually in what you're doing no that's a really good point and i mean i I think a common rebuttal people say is like oh well what what do you expect me to do just find this dude's phone number and call him. And it's like, well, no. So you talked about like two-way streak. So kind of yep. what would be that step? And I, I'm naturally good at that, which is fortunate where, where how you and I have, have gotten lunch together and talked on the phone a few times. But some people are like, I, I, like, do I just call? Like kind of so what's the approach there, you know? And that's okay. It's okay to be conservative in that respect yep. because there is a strategy to this, right? If you go in flying blind without a plan to approach some of these individuals that are really successful, probably extremely busy, and you come to them without the right approach, they're not going to be as receptive to you, right? So one of the best ways you can start that is with a warm introduction. Okay, do I know anybody that knows this person well that can put in a good word for me in whatever capacity that means for you? So the introduction is warm. That's one way to do it. Um, the other way to do it is, re- is, is to educate yourself on this individual very deeply and intelligently so you know about them from a business perspective, you know about them from a personal perspective. And when you reach out to them, try to merge the IQ and the EQ a little bit and tell them who you are. Tell them the work that you've done already to educate yourself on the space because it shows initiative and it gives them more incentive to talk to you. And then, and then say, hey, I would like 10 to 15 minutes of your time. Very short window, right? So what we're trying to do here is give our own self some validation that we've done some work to get them more interested in talking to us and then create an opportunity that feels to them like it's a short discussion window, right? And so it's something that they say, ah, I can squeeze in 10 minutes, right? So we want to think about these things strategically, even approaching somebody that's an expert. This is all strategy and should be thought through. So these are these, this is the advice that I give to people who are doing this, because once you've done the work to gather the information, the discussions with the individuals that have been doing it in this space for a long time are about as valuable as they can be because it is going to be the bridge, that last piece 
that gets you to where you can actually initiate the start of something. And they are going to help you identify any risk that you haven't addressed um, or any ways that your strategy might be off. So you, you really want to do this and you want to do it with a smart approach. Man, I love that you mentioned that. And if I could go back, because that's how my first business failed when I was working on the mobile travel app that I told you about a couple of years ago. Yeah. It's like we had the plan, we had the knowledge, and we reached out to a couple people who had started apps, but like we didn't reach out to anybody who had sustained long-term success in the travel app space. Yes. And if I could go back, I feel like we would be a completely different story now. But like we just didn't know how to do it because information can only take you so far. But like if I hadn't known that approach, it would have been like, hey, we've done this, we've done this, we've done this. Let me get 10 minutes of your time and then hopefully cultivating that relationship. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because it was very actionable steps for people out there. And I know a lot of people listening, like they want to start their own business and probably they've done the information side. But now it's kind of that like next step learning directly from somebody who's done it. So Yeah, that's that's right. I think a thing that I see too in that that we didn't touch on specifically is there's a, there's a little bit of a fear factor, right? When you talk to some expert, I mean, you look at this individual in a space that you want to be working in, they've probably had a lot of success and you're like, how in the world am I going to come off as being comfortable talking to this person, right? They've, they've just crushed it. And I'm just this guy that knows, you know, a little bit from a few weeks of work or a couple months of work. Right. But there, again, there is, there is strategy to it. And a big part of being an entrepreneur, starting your own business or taking a, a, you know, a big jump into a space that you're not familiar with is, is identifying your own um, blocks that are keeping you from getting there and then being strategic about them. Right. So um, I've seen plenty of people. I mean, I think a lot, most individuals I know want to make strides in their career. A lot of them take the wrong steps, which is just a cold, uneducated approach. And then they, they don't have success and it, it shuts them down, right? So we want to think through our – we want to know ourselves well. Hey, what are our walls? Do we have some fear associated with this? And then we strategize around that and we can – the idea with any of this, whether it's the actual start of the business or talking to the, event, the individuals is – to cut down the fear factor, to cut down the risk. So when you have to take that last little leap, that it's as, it's as small as you can make it, right? And so that's how we think about it. No, that's awesome because you've already done like all the research, kind of all the information gathering where you don't have a full clear path yet, but it's pretty clear on kind of what to do versus a bunch of bushes that you're having to walk through. You don't know if there's thorns and stuff, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Completely. No, that's cool, man. I, I like that. Um, you talked about fear a little bit. So c- could you dive a little bit deeper on that? Because I, I think that holds a lot of people back, including myself, from from taking some big leaps that I know, like, if I just did it and followed through, like, it would lead to a crazy, successful life. Um, so so how can you get over that fear? And, and for me, and I think a lot of other people, it's like that financial one of like, well, if I jump ship and do this, it's like, well, I don't have this continuous income coming in. And I know you jump ship from an industry that pays extremely well uh, to start your own thing. So how do you kind of mitigate some of those fears? Yeah. You know, I think it's a similar answer to what I started to explain a minute ago, which is, you know, I think the first thing that you can do is whatever this path is, if it's the entrepreneurial journey, if it's a new job, if it's changing careers just from one industry to another, um, I think the first thing you want to do is be 
consistent in the in, in your own education of everything around what you're trying to do. If it's an industry space, then it's carving an hour every single day out of your day and be like, this is my hour, 7 to 8 p.m. I'm only going to spend it on this. And you and you don't miss on it, right? So you, you begin to educate yourself. Then as you build more knowledge in the space, it's I'm going to meet two people a week in this space and I'm going to have conversations with them about the space specifically. So you, you build knowledge over time and that starts to hopefully starts to quantify and qualify the risks associated. Cause you're right. I think the two risks I think about immediately when I think about making one of these big changes, one, it's always the financial risk, which scares people understandably. And two, I think it is the fear of the unknown or the fear of your own lack of education because the more education you have, I mean, it's something you do right now really well. You have a natural confidence in it, obviously. And if you're stepping into the the realm of the unknown, a lot of times your confidence level drops. So the idea is to create as much clarity in an unknown space as you can around education, meeting the pros in the space, um, building up your own financial capacity to where the timing feels better to narrow that fear factor to the smallest place you can get it. There's always going to be a piece of it there, but you can intelligently lower that until you get to a place where you're like, I, I can see the other side and the jump doesn't feel as far. So I think, I think it's, a, it's, it's putting yourself in a sound financial position Dependent upon the capital requirements of what you're going to do, uh, educating your spell, educating yourself consistently on the space. That's not only independently but with other experts. And then the last, the last thing I'll say is, you know, I think when you start these, when you start a company or you do something new like this, I mean, write down the risks and rewards and start to in your own mind mitigate the risks associated with this new business with, you know, ways to approach that risk that makes sense. And then so that way, when you run into some of these things, which you will, you've, you've thought strategically about plans to address them. So that's the way I think about the approach is I think about it as almost the scale of uh, financial uncertainty and the scale of the unknown. If the fear factor is this big, you reduce it through education, sound financial positioning, and you get it to that small place and then you can take the leap. Yeah, and you're already kind of thinking through any uh, risks that could be out there. So when they do happen, you're, you're properly prepared versus having a oh no type of moment down the road, right? Yeah, you know, you want to have financial contingency in your plan, yeah. whether it's an individual plan, you want to have time contingency. If things, you know, you start a new company, you got revenue projection of X for the first 12 months and you don't hit it. Well, you know, there's, there's a time component, there's a financial component. So you're almost, I mean, Back in my old days, we called it stress testing. I mean, you stress test all your assumptions and everything you do. You stress test your own financial position. You stress test the assumptions about the business. You stress test your assumptions about how fast you're going to get a job if you're changing industry. So, I mean, I think critical analysis of all of these things and a thoughtful approach will put you in a place where you're more comfortable with that risk. And you know, the other thing I'll say is if, if it's a business, I love the idea of starting a business on the side while you have the day job and then just slowly building it over time. I mean, it's 
what partially what I did. I invested in real estate for a while. I think that's a great, I'm working with two people right now on a consulting basis is exactly what they're doing. And we really feel like there's very limited risk. There's some capital outlay in terms of, hey, let's some initial marketing and let's meet some people for lunch. Let's take some potential clients to lunch and all of that. But it's just so limited because the consistency of their regular paycheck. So we can really extract a lot of information, refine our plan with a little bit of, with only a little bit of capital commitment. And then we go big later when the idea is proven out. Yeah, no, that that's, that's really cool. And I think, um, man, lost my train of thought. Cause I was like looking at all the notes that I took. Um, yeah, I think, I think just refining it the best way you can. Um, and, and everyone I think has their own position. It's like somebody that's got, you know, four young kids probably couldn't take as big of a risk than somebody who's, couple years out of school on a high paying job. Um, so I also think like you already kind of mentioned this, but I think it's already just like thinking about your own risk factor and, and where you're at. So, yeah, I mean, you cater, you cater it to your individual circumstance. I mean, I, yeah. I will just say that if, if your gut instinct or your own really strong desire is to take whatever path it is, um, I, I would just say that don't think about it in terms of, big risks. Just think about it in terms of minimizing the risks that exist. So my own fear for anybody that I work with or even myself, I mean, I've started multiple businesses, but I feel like I got a lot of things left that I want to do. My, my, my fear is always getting to a place where I'm like, I didn't take that risk that I should have taken. And I'll mm. you know, advise everybody from having done it a few times at this point that you can really quantify and qualify that risk pretty well if you're willing to put in the consistent work and you're willing to get out of your comfort zone and get in front of a lot of people that know what they're doing you can you can really bridge that gap to a pretty tight place yeah man and and two things i'll say on that one is i love like we're in this era where you can approach anyone from linkedin to social media to twitter I mean, it's people are very accessible. I mean, there's websites you can go pay for somebody's phone number, you know, a, a lead generation yeah. thing, right? So it's, yeah, it, there's no excuse not to get in contact with people. And then I think, you know, doing it on the side outside of the eight to five, I mean, you know, that's what I'm doing with all my stuff. And it's kind of like using that eight to five as leverage. It's like I'm using it leverage of learning as much as I can. But then I'm also using like the income I'm making as leverage to, you know, build some cushion to be able to start my own thing from a less risky factor versus just, starting my own thing with no emergency fund type of thing. So yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, I, I owned my self storage, my first self storage facility when I still worked in the corporate world, you know, and I was run, running it on the side and learning the business and still getting that paycheck. So uh, it's, it's absolutely something you can do if you do it intelligently. Yep, for sure. So um, I want you to touch on this is just the um, undervalued and, and unrecognized value. I know, when uh, you've shared that with me before, it's like my brain's still been kind of mind blown by it. Uh, and it's such yeah. a simple concept, but it's like, I've never really thought about that in, in the way yeah. that you explain. So I'd love if you could just dive in there. Yeah. And, and this is just a way that I came to identify the way I like to look at the world of business and real estate and the way I like to understand what a good investment is. And it's a little bit broadly derived from just looking at like the public equity markets and thinking about growth versus value, right? So if you're investing in the public markets and you got a financial advisor, he's like, hey, Chris, you know, how much growth do you want to have in your equities position versus how much value? And 
you hear people like Warren Buffett have been value investors and they espouse the value investment philosophy, right? Um, I think there's room for both. And I think it also depends on your risk tolerance. But I would say that I orient myself more to the value side of the spectrum, which is I like to essentially uh, find things that I view there to be upside in or when I when I acquire an asset or a business, I know that I've made money day one actually, um, because I've, I've done the work on the market. And I think that there's what we've talked about. There's either it's, it's either undervalued from a business perspective or there's unrecognized value there. And they sound like the same and they do have some crossover, but there is some difference. Um, I would say that, that first I'd say, un, so this is in the value spectrum, unrecognized and undervalued, unrecognized, I, and this, these are my own definitions, again, which is how I view the world. Unrecognizes, think about like arriving before the crowd arrives. So seeing a trend and being there before everybody else gets there, right? So in the real estate world, a very simplistic example would be uh, like a few years ago, the migration of people from the Midwest, the West, and the Northeast to more Sunbelt markets. So you had corporate jobs moving to sun, the Sunbelt, right? Um and so if you think about that from a real estate perspective, if you caught that trend early on and started buying real estate in Sunbelt markets, um, then you were there before a lot of a lot more people recognized that trend. And you you saw you saw unrecognized value by the masses. There might have been a few people that saw it, but it was unrecognized. Or we think back like in the another example would be like we think back into COVID, if you realized early on that people were going to work from home for this long time frame and you thought about investing in zoom or telehealth or something like that right so you saw you recognized something early you got into it from an investment perspective the crowd caught up with you once the crowd catches up with you more value is um, built into this specific space and you you recognize the natural appreciation from positioning yourself early so that's what I consider unrecognized value. Undervalued is more, I think about it in terms of operational efficiency, or I think about it in terms of industry cyclicality, getting away from a business. So a couple examples there would be like the self-storage space. Um, I recognized early on that the self-storage space um, uh, was, and this was through working with a specific company that I was doing consulting work with was predominantly owned by smaller owners. So very dispersed ownership. There wasn't a lot of uh, larger players in the space that have, have thought about operational efficiencies in terms of day-to-day running these facilities. So you looked at, and this was like, you know, 10 years ago, 75% of the self-storage space was uh, owned, was individuals who owned three or less facilities. So it was so you could look at it and see that you could make a comparison to something like um, the apartment space that had already experienced this trend of becoming a more institutional asset class, which means you have bigger investors investing in the space. Apartments used to not be considered an interesting investment from a real estate perspective. People just did office, retail, industrial. Apartments came along and over time they developed into in, in uh, institutional investment. So self-storage, you could look at it and be like, this is not a very institutional space, yet it's needed 
by a large percentage of the population. It's running efficiently. It could be, it could be more, uh, there could be more value there. So you see these operational inefficiencies and you go in and you streamline the operations of the business. So uh, another example might be like, I, I like Warren Buffett examples because he's done interesting things. I think a lot of people respect his philosophy. He's pretty consistent. I mean, I, th- I think it was uh, right after the downturn, he bought one of the railroads um, and Burlington Northern, I believe is what it was. And um, the railroads had experienced a, a, a downturn in performance relative to things like trucking and relative to things like uh, air travel and what Warren Buffett looked at it and said, well, this, there's so much infrastructure here. Um, and he saw the rising uh, fuel costs and energy costs associated with these other transportation modalities that he actually went in and paid in a, what seemed to be at the surface a huge amount for for this this rail company. But his whole thesis was that through the cyclicality of business that it had lost, it was undervalued relative to how it could perform in the future. So I, that's the two ways I look at business. I, again, unrecognized is, is being ahead of the herd and a trend that you see coming undervalued is can be operational efficiencies or it can be businesses that have a good core foundation, but maybe the markets got away from them and people aren't seeing it anymore, but there's a foundation there that makes sense. So that's the way I look at businesses. I like to have one of those two things. And sometimes it's both that I can identify in a business and say, I have a very clear pathway to extracting value in this real estate or in this business because more people are going to recognize it or by creating more efficiencies that can create value that way. That's how that's essentially my thesis. Yeah, man, that, that's awesome. I think, um, I, I think both of those are great. And I think just like taking the time to research, you know, how you can find some of these. I mean, I, I was on the Charlotte economic development website the other day, looking to where headquarters are relocating in you know, 30 minutes surrounding radius of the city. And I saw this large manufacturer move into rock Hill and I was like, huh, well, those people are going to need somewhere to live. So like, let me try to find some single family homes to invest in so that these people can rent them that are working in this manufacturing plant. Um, And it's kind of like you hear people be like, oh, you you got lucky. And it's like, well, yes, there's a little luck involved in making the right decision. But at the same time, it's like it is kind of a strategic approach of researching and stuff. Would you agree? A hundred percent. And I think actually people tend to overcomplicate. I mean, a lot of a lot of people I know would love to work for themselves. You know, they have a corporate job and they say, but, but where do I start? There's so much I could do. What space do I like? Um, you, you start at the most macro level by just start, starting to be somebody that becomes interested in, in trends, right? Um, as, I, as I think about things that I've thought about in business, um, there's, there's, Trends repeat themselves, and you can take things that happen in one industry and you can correlate them to other industries, like the apartment and storage example. I mean, that's it wasn't a really long jump in my mind to think, well, this happened in the apartment space. It should happen in the self-storage space. So we, I've already seen something very similar happen. Hey, there's this, there's this specific real estate asset class that larger investors don't invest in because they don't understand it well and it's disparate ownership. Um, but there's, but I think there's people are always going to need a place to rent 
And the same with self-storage. I think that trend could emerge in the self-storage space, right? So it's, it's not that big of a jump. And so if you, you can recognize trends and you can almost translate them to other things that you see. I mean, I had a, one of my professors, and here's another really easy example, one of my professors in grad school who was a real estate uh, CFO of a real estate company, one of the students one time asked him, they said, well, hey, how do you make investment decisions for where you're going to develop new properties? And it was one of the most surprising answers I've, I've ever heard from an individual. But he literally said, we look at the number one person, that's that our number one competitor, and we go a couple of miles down the road from them. I mean, that's how they made strategic decisions. And you go, really? And he's like, yeah, well, because they're the best at what they do. And they do all the work in terms of identifying demographic trends. Most of the markets that they operate in have more room for, than just what they're doing. So, and this was literally a publicly traded real estate company. This, the, the, the CFO of this publicly traded real estate company was literally like, I just do what my competitor does. So you, at the surface, you might look at that and be like, that's a terrible strategy, but they, they did really well. So I think, the last one I'll say is another one is I, I'll say because we did it in our men's grooming lounges. Look in, in other markets if you're traveling and you have a business that's interesting to you. And let's just say you're in California or in Europe or somewhere else. Look at the same types of businesses in other markets and how they do it and see if there's something that's unique to that business that's transferable to where you would want to do it. So I'll, I'll keep this quick so we can move on to the next question. But in our, in our, um, in our barbershop men's grooming lounge, we came across a, a, one of those out in California that was in a unique space that was shared with a bunch of other retail operators. And it was a small floor plan platform layout. Essentially, they had taken an old industrial building. They had rehabbed it, and they had put in there these really unique retailers that were doing like interesting fashion brands, uh, paired with a coffee shop, paired with a barber shop, and all they had done was taken walls and divided walls out for all these spaces. So, and they had condensed the floor plan, the floor plan down to these businesses from what might be usually two thousand feet to like sub five hundred square feet. So, why is that so interesting? Well, the lease rates for all these businesses were like a third of what you would typically pay for a lease rate, not to mention that the natural foot traffic of the businesses that were around you shared some similarity in your business, and they fed off of each other. So we looked at that and we said, and there's nothing like this where we are. So we actually reached out to retail brands that were interesting to us and said, could we, could we share a space with you here? and actually replicated that model in our market and essentially took an idea that was successful elsewhere, replicated it. And these, this goes back to our point earlier. It's like when you think about reducing risk, a lot of it is just paying attention to what people are doing either in a different space that's transferable to your space or in a different geography that's transferable to your geography. You can cut out a lot of risk with just basic trend analysis or basic competitor analysis or regional analysis. Um, so these are all really interesting ways to think through a business and get to a place where you've identified ways to cut costs, ways to shed risk, ways to identify your target market, 
ways to, to do all of these things that really make the risk, again, I, I like to say quantifiable and qualifiable. Dude, that, that's awesome, man. I'm, I'm pumped that you said that. Uh, I think that's some solid advice there. And dude, excellent points. And I, I love that you just saw the model, replicated it. Um, and I mean, similar thing, I was reading it in my rental property investment book, and they're talking about where to find location-wise, like where to invest. And they were like, look at where the Starbucks are, the Walgreens, the Walmarts. And it's like those massive conglomerates have done years and years and years of market research on where they're going to put their store because it tossed, cost them a lot of money. So it's like, huh, there's a Starbucks two miles from here. They obviously just didn't pick the spot and hope for, for the sure. best. So for sure. I mean, they're experts. I mean, we have, to your point, we have, when we do new real estate deals, we have five or six retailers that we always look at. When we're looking at a new site, we pull up, just say, maybe it's a Starbucks as an example. We would, we would pull up these retailers that we like, that we know are, are just absolutely solid at picking locations. And we say, how far away is this retailer, this retailer, this retailer, this retailer? We don't have to pick up all of them. But if we pick up a couple, I mean, they literally, this is what they do all day, every day. So another way to, to have somebody, it's, I mean, it's free too, right? So it's another way to have somebody triangulate your own analysis and help you really nail down your analysis to the most actionable, intelligent information. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think that's a challenge for everyone listening. It's like, look for that value by seeing what everyone else is doing. And, and the example with the CFO of, I see what our competitor does and do the same thing a couple miles away. That's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. Pub- publicly traded CFO, you'd be shocked, but very successful. And, um, you know, they're, and it's it's actually relatively common in the in the real yeah. estate space to just be completely demographic focused and be like we're going to the most popular spots and we're going to pay the highest price because we know it's the most liquid. Um, so not too uncommon, but at that stage in my career, when he said that, I was like, you got to be kidding me. There's got to be a better answer than that. So, but yeah, I'm sure saying. like young Brian was just thinking of like a profound answer that he's about. Yeah, to yeah, I was like, this can't this can't be right, but. <laughs> They, they did well. That's awesome, man. Um, so I, I do want to do a, a shift um, fr- from some of the business talk to more of like the health and wellness, because I know that is equally a passion of yours. And uh, for those of you who don't know, Brian's jacked. So uh, he, he's got some good advice out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, man, I know you've helped me out, like dial in the macros a little bit. And uh, I know we've talked about cutting, bulking, stuff like that. So not asking you to give away all your secrets, but um you know, maybe if you if you just could share like some general health and fitness knowledge, maybe maybe for those who 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 want to kind of increase their health and wellness, but but they're like, oh well, where do I start? Type of thing. So, yeah, and and a little bit of a backdrop on that. I'm, I'm a workaholic. If you hadn't figured it out already, I mean, I, I love building businesses. I love analyzing businesses. It's just what I enjoy doing. So my fitness got away from me for a while, um, and. As, as a result of just focusing on other things. And I really, after some own personal introspection, I really came back to a place where I said, hey, I need to spend more time on this because if building businesses and uh, over time and doing all these different things I like to do is what's one of the most important things to me, then you know, having a sound body and mindset nutrition is only going to help me do that. And so I, I really came to a place where I, I do believe that real holistic success is all around you know it's 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 going out and being in a continued growth mode in your own education um in your own 
again, fitness and, and lifestyle. And then eventually for me, it's getting to a point now, which is the most rewarding is I spend a good chunk of my time helping other people build businesses. And that's my true joy, right? I love doing it for myself, but to be able to help somebody build their own side business or transition from that corporate job or, or, or even, or even be at a corporate job and think through how to, to move up to levels that they want to move up to or shift internally to think through that. That's just one of the most, I mean, to me is one of the most rewarding things you can do. Um, so long, you know, long story short, I refocused on that and I, I joined up with a, with a coach mentor who coached me through a system. I got back in really good shape. I ended up going through his program and, and became a trainer also. And now when I'm not doing my own things, I'm usually running about five to 10 coaching clients on the fitness and nutrition side. And, you know, really, really, I'd say it's, it's a couple of things. I love having that clear, a clear mind. It's, it's driven by a good diet. It's driven by spending time in the gym and, and working out. I, I honestly think, I, I truly believe that if you can get your fitness and diet dialed in because of the consistency in which you have to do that, you think about building your knowledge in a specific topic. Well, fitness and nutrition is an everyday thing. I mean, it is, it, if your, your nutrition's dialed, it's at least three times a day. So what I find is that the people that are successful in being consistent with a, with a nutrition and fitness plan it automatically carries over other areas, uh, other areas of your life because it's there's there's more to it from a time perspective because it's so frequent that it almost makes other areas you want to grow in your life seem easy. So virtually everybody, I mean, one of the gentlemen that I got into a lot better shape, we dropped you know thirty pounds on him, and he's just in incredible shape again. He's now a business consulting uh, client of mine, and we're we're building a business for him that that's in the side of his day job all because that, you know, that served as the foundation for him to think about a mindset for consistency and something else and changing another area of his life. So I believe it's, it's a very transferable thing. So I love that side of it. Last thing for me personally, I tell people because I think it's important for, to, to really lock down your own consistencies. You got to find your personal purpose and reason um, for sticking to that fitness and nutrition plan. For me, it was in my real estate business, being in front of investors and really wanted to present in a way that wasn't, you know, I, I bring a lot to the table in terms of, an, of an, call it an institutional background at big companies, but I wanted to be the whole package. I wanted to bring about a presence when I stood in front of an investor and I said, hey, I'm doing X, Y project. I'm raising capital. I would love for you to take your, your money and invest with me. I mean, I just mentally for myself wanted no holes in my game at all. So to stand there and, and for people to say, this guy seems like he's got it all together. He's in good shape. He takes care of himself. I can, it's clear that he does. And his background's great. And it, you know, I want to give this guy a piece of my own wealth, which, I mean, you think about it, one of the other biggest motivations I have every day is in my real estate projects, I got people's retirement money, right? So it's a it's a great responsibility to take people's retirement money and and go out and say I've got a strategy and I'm going to deliver you a return on your capital and we're going to put you in a better financial position. I mean it's a again it's a it's a big responsibility but one that I take on and enjoy taking on and I want to be 
holistically ready to take on that responsibility. That is my own personal drive and motivation for having that all around approach. I think for everybody else, it's, you know, it's, it's your wife, it's your kids, it's your job. Um, it's, it's, it's taking care of people that might need your assistance, whatever it is, there's, there's a purpose behind that. And I believe again, that it's a, it's a holistic approach, which is why I rounded out that, that side of myself. Dude, I love that you mentioned that. I actually had this uh, fitness coach on a few episodes ago. I think he's coached like 5,000 clients. He's been doing it for like a decade. Uh, But he said that's his like biggest advice is he tells his clients, find a purpose or a why behind the reason that you want to get fit. Um, So I love that you you echoed some of the same points. Um, And dude, as as tough as it may sound, last thing I'm going to say here is just – I think being fit is just kind of the, the ultimate sign of self-respect, honestly, because money can be given to you. A business can be given to you. Your career success could be given to you if you know the right people. But it's like no one can hand you like a physically attractive, if you will, body, right? It's like you have genetics and sometimes people can gain weight or lose weight better than others. But like at the end of the day, I think like being physically fit and just healthy in general is like one of the things like fully controlled by you. Yeah. And I think people also see that, right? I mean, if you are standing in front of somebody, they look at you and they can tell you're physically fit. They know that at least one thing in your life is squared away to use military terminology. Uh, my brother would be proud of that. But um, they, they look at you and they say, man, he, he, he's got it squared away or she's got it squared away on this front. They take the time to think about it. And, and, they, and I know that they're consistent just by their look. And it just in their own mind, they're, they're most likely thinking all the other areas of their life, they probably treat the same way with respect and responsibility. So it's, it's that piece of it. I, I do think it's important. So, um, and it, it, it has only enhanced what I do. And again, on the coaching side, there's nothing more rewarding than seeing somebody have success in their fitness and nutrition and it translate to other areas. It's so common. I mean, it just, their, their work life gets better. Their family life gets better. They want to start their own other businesses because they see they can stick to a plan and something else. So it's just, it's a, a really incredible thing to watch. Yeah, man, I love that. Um, last question for you. I always like to ask everybody this, but kind of already answered actually at the beginning of the episode, but uh, you know, let's just say you're at a crosswalk and uh, some dude taps you on the shoulder. They're like, dude, I, I think I heard you on Chris Chavin's podcast. It's a great <laughs> episode. And if they were just like, Brian, like, what advice do you have for me, man? I'm just kind of starting out. I'm trying to grow. Uh, and then, you know, the crosswalk's about 25, 30 seconds, but they just want to get some quick knowledge from you. Yeah, my, that's a great question. It would be to really take some time every day for yourself to be introspective about who you are and what your personal goals are. And then as we talked about earlier, to find a way to walk into those goals and reduce the fear associated with them. Because I I really feel like if you know yourself well, and you know what you want out of life, and you're fearless in your approach to going out and educating yourself on those things and approaching individuals to become more educated and then taking a leap, I really do feel like that's a more fulfilling life. And I'd summarize that up by saying, knowing yourself, creating a vision around knowing yourself and executing on that vision go out and do that. And I think you're going to find real fulfillment. Every single day you got to execute on it, right? Yeah. Every single day, every single day. Consistency is the key. 
Yeah, man. I, I see your Instagram stories every morning at like 4 45, 5 a.m. It's like, dude, you're I mean, I thought I was consistent, but damn, you're you're on like a whole nother level over here. So Yeah, yeah. I, I pride myself on that consistency and hey, you know, con- I my coach says this and I do believe that confidence is built on consistency. And it is true. When you can look at yourself and know that know that you're that you yourself are gonna be consistent. That drives confidence. So it is the easiest way to drive confidence. Just be consistent, hold your word to yourself, and it just grows and grows exponentially over time. Yeah, man, 100%. So uh, before I jump off, and I'd love if you could just highlight some stuff you're working on. If, if people want to connect with you on social, where's the best place to do that? Um, just I'll let you take it for there for the last you know 30 seconds to a minute that we're on here. Yeah, well, we've got some interesting things happening. So I continue to invest in real estate. Uh, my Instagram is Brian, B-R-I-N underscore Miller one underscore. If you want to follow me, and I post a good bit about fitness and business. And, you know, for me here in the future, I'm going to continue to invest in real estate. Uh, we're going to continue to develop self-storage and acquire self-storage and be active in the apartment and townhome space. Um, and then my immediate goal is to actually put a little bit more focus into my social media and build my mindset, fitness, and coaching business for aspiring entrepreneurs and uh, executives in the corporate space. And so I'm actually coming out of a few large real estate projects here over the next few months, and I'm going to be really focused on expanding my social media and expanding my coaching business. So uh, I'm happy to chat with anybody further. If they want to speak uh, about that, you can reach out to me directly on Instagram. Um, But looking forward to really, my business now is probably 95% real estate and 5% coaching and i'd love to see that be more 50 50 so that's what we're going to be working toward over the next few months yeah man that's awesome brother well brian always a pleasure to chat with you and uh of course thank you so much for hopping on the show yeah chris absolutely appreciate the opportunity thanks for having me on Well, that's it, everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to tune in to this week's episode of Next Level Minds. Be sure to connect with Brian. His information will be below in the show notes. Other than that, I hope everyone has a fantastic week ahead.